All right, let's go ahead and pray and get started this morning. Um, we're going to be in Romans today, so it's, it's, it's going to be a good chapter, I think. So let's pray. O God, the Holy Spirit, that which we know not, teach us. Keep us humble. Keep us a humble disciple in the school of Christ, learning daily there what we are in ourselves, a fallen sinful creature, justly deserving everlasting destruction. But let us never lose sight of our need for a Savior, or forget that apart from Him we are nothing and can do nothing. Open our understanding to know the Holy Scriptures. Reveal to our souls the counsel and works of the Blessed Trinity. Instill into our dark minds the saving knowledge of Jesus. Make us acquainted with his covenant undertakings and his perfect fulfillment of them. That by resting on his finished work, we may find the Father's love in the Son, his Father, our Father and may be brought through your influence to have fellowship with the three in one. O lead us into all truth, thou spirit of wisdom and revelation, that I may know the things that belong unto my peace, and through you be made anew. Make practical upon our hearts the Father's love, as as thou hast revealed it in the scriptures. Apply to our soul the blood of Christ, effectually, continually, Help us to believe with conscious comfort that it cleanses from all sin. Lead us from faith to faith that we may at all times have freedom to come to a reconciled Father and may be able to maintain peace with Him against doubts, fears, corruptions, temptations. Your office is to teach us to draw near to Christ with a pure heart, steadfastly persuaded of His love, in the full assurance of faith. Let us never falter in this way. Amen. So this chapter, in some ways, this chapter, especially the first two pages, kind of had a feeling of, yeah, we've been here and we've done this before. Um, what does the author start with that seems repetitive of the previous chapters that we've talked about? Same thing as Paul and gospel works, not works, and that kind of thing. Okay. He says on the bottom of page 189, um, perhaps as believers today, we know that God loves us. We really believe that. But if we were to more closely examine how we actually relate to the Father moment by moment, which reveals our actual theology, what we say we believe on paper, many of us tend to believe that it's a love infected with disappointment. Jump to page 190, says it's a flustered love. 
How are they still falling short so much after all I have done for them? And then the, the quote, he says, we are now sinning against light. The Puritans would say, we know the truth. Our hearts have been fundamentally transformed and still we fall. It's kind of this rep- repetitive focus of we don't see God correctly, right? That's kind of the direction that he went at the beginning of this chapter. And it's true. We can look at that and say that's true. And we do need to be constantly reminded that we are seeing God through our eyes and not through his eyes. But I think there's more to this. And he touches on it. And we're going to kind of expand from that. So, um, he takes us to Romans chapter 5. So let's go to Romans chapter 5. So he kind of talks through this, this repet- repetition of things that we've already talked about. Of We don't see God the way God wants us to see him, how he's presented in scripture. We see him through our lens of when we get frustrated at somebody that we love, we kind of get that flustered feeling about why don't you don't you get how many times I've done stuff for you? Why are, why are you doing this? That's how we see God because that's how we feel when people that we love are doing things against us. And he says that as a reminder, as we've talked about last week and the week before that and the week before that, that God doesn't, if you are repentant and you are a forgiven sinner, God no longer looks at those things. He looks at you through Christ. And he keeps coming back to that. Well, in Romans chapter 5, he, he really hones in on verse 8. But I want to kind of tie back into what we talked about last week, Galatians 2.20. Um, if we look at verse 5, because he talks about in verse 1 through 5 of chapter 5. He talks about kind of the, the, the results of our justification, the good of this. So uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that afflictions bring perseverance, and perseverance, proving character, and proving character, hope. And hope does not put to shame. Why? Why is our, our hope not shamed? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. And he comes back to where we were in Galatians 2 last week. It's the love of God that has done this. But then he goes to verse 6. It's, 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 all, it's all right there together. He goes to verse 6 and he's reminding us for a while you were still weak. And then verse, not, uh, verse 8, that while we were yet sinners. And, and verse 10, and, and when we were enemies. So it's not like you were good enough. It's not like you were starting to do the right thing. I was getting myself right and then I came to Jesus. No. You were an enemy, you were weak, you were a sinner, and then Christ did this. 
verse 6, for while we were still weak, at that right time, Christ died for us. Uh, Verse 8, God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were sinners, God, Christ Christ died for us. Verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled. So he's just, it's that reminder again that it's not what you've done, it's what Christ has done. But he then ties it into the idea of, um, it's kind of like the title, um, he loved us then, he'll love us now. We, can't, we tend to separate out in our minds the sins we were forgiven of when we, when we repented and the sins that we commit now that we are a repentant sinner. And in our minds, we tend to separate that. Yeah, of course he forgave those. But now it's like the Puritan said, we're we're sinning against light. I I know what the good is and I still fall. And and his his focus here is going back to these verses here because he's talking about what did happen while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for us. So that's the past. Right. Um. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's that past piece. But then you jump into verse 9, and my, my version says, much more than, yours probably says, therefore, or since, therefore. So because of what he's done in the past, therefore, verse 9, having now been justified by his blood. Oh yeah, you're justified. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. There's a future focus here. Are we saved now? Yes. Will we be saved completely in the future? Yes. That's what he's talking about. You've been justified. That's that initial point for us. But it continues even right now when we're sinning against light. That that, that reconciliation, that redemption continues to save us from the wrath of God. And, and then in verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, you see, that's the, that's the present tense verb, having been. That's, that's going on now. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So there's a, uh, there's a what happened before, and it continues through now and will continue into the future. And that's kind of the direction he went. And, and, and that's, it's so good. Um, so I have to ask you a question. All the things that we've, we've talked about over the last five or six weeks, um, and, and it's, I'm going to tell you, it's going to continue into 22 and continue into 23. This is, this is a theme in this book. Has it given you a lighter view of your sin? Because we, remember, there's a tension here. And we can't fall one direction or the other on this tension. We have to maintain this tension. Has this conversation of God is gentle and lowly and God is the father of mercies and he's going to not only save you uh, from your, justify you from your sins, but he's going to save you from God's wrath to come. He's going to save you through his life. All of these things, does it give you a mindset or a thought of, of that your sin is just not that important anymore? 
And it's something that scared me this week when I was reading about this. Because what I don't want you to hear is that your sins don't matter. Because this is chapter 5 of Romans, and then Paul deals with this in chapter 6 and chapter 7. Because Pam and I have family that have this mindset, uh, on some on her side and some on my side, well, I said a prayer, so I'm good to do whatever I want to do. It's possible some of you sitting here have that mindset. But it's more likely that some of you sitting here have family or friends who have that mindset. How do you answer that? That's why we can't stop in Romans chapter 5. You have to go to 6. You have to go to 7. Because Paul says in 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace can increase? Well, if our sin as a repentant believer shows more of God's grace and more of God's mercy, then let us sin so his mercy can come out. And Paul says, no, may it, ne- may it never be. Absolutely not. You can't stop there. You have to carry this through how your life is lived out as well. It's not just about the decision you made. The God has called you. He is, he has, his, his spirit has called you. You are repentant. But now that repentance requires something from you. Not because you do need to do this to be saved, but because of his justifying you, there should be a different mindset about your sin. And that's where he goes here. So how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And in the book, he he ties this on page 190. Page 190, he says, A Christian's conscience is a sensitized conscience. Now that we know God is Father, now that our eyes have been opened to our treasonous rebellion against our Creator, we feel more deeply than ever the ugliness of our sin. Failure makes the soul cringe like never before. And and that's where Paul's going in 6 and 7. It's not that because God is merciful and God has grace that we can do what we want... It's that because we have died to sin, we shouldn't still live in that sin. And we jump to verse 4 of chapter 6. It says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too might we walk in newness of life. So it's... It's this, it's still positional. We're talking about your position. As, as a repentant believer, you don't no longer walk in those sins. Your conscience is sensitized to that sin. And in chapter, verse 10, he says, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And that ties back to Galatians 2.20. We are crucified with Christ. And we live, not I, but Christ in me. That's where this ties in. It's not that we're saved so we can do what we want. It's that we are saved and now Christ can live in us. We don't have to do those things. 
if you're an unbeliever, number one, your conscience is not sensitized. And we've had conversations with uh, a couple of our children about some of the things that they do, and they don't see anything wrong with what they do. Well, that tells me that if they don't see their sin as sin, they don't have a sensitized conscience, which means they don't have the spirit, which means they're probably not regenerate. So if you're actively engaging in sinful behavior with no thought of repentance, that should be a major warning sign for you. Because a true Christian has a sensitized conscience to this. Now, how does that tie in? Well, if you look at verse chapter 7, he says, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So the law, we talk about the law. When we talk about the law, people uh, generally, their first thoughts come to the Ten Commandments, right? Okay, so do we, do we have to follow the Ten Commandments? Do you have to follow the Ten Commandments to be saved? What's the point of the law? To point out our sin. Does the law justify you? No. Does the law save you? No. Is the law evil? No. The law is good and it has a very specific purpose. To point out what is not good about you. Well, that's important because you jump into chapter 7, verse 13, and it gets into 15 to 24 here. And I want to read this because this is this sensitized conscience that we're talking about. For what I am working out, I don't understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. So now no longer I'm the one working out, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that's in my flesh. For the willing is present within me, but the working out of good is not. For the good that I want, I don't do. And the practice, the very evil that I don't want to do. But if I am doing the very thing I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one working it out, but the sin that dwells in me. I find then the principle that in me that evil is present in me, in me who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in my members. Do you see the difference? The inner man and the flesh. In our soul, which is where our redemption has has been completed in our soul, the inner man is good. The inner man desires to follow the law. The inner man desires to do the good things of God. But sin still dwells in our flesh, and our flesh doesn't want to do that. And that's when we get to verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? This is the sensitized conscience. If he is not a believer, he is not seeing himself as wretched. But where is his focus? That sensitized conscience that sees the things that I do as evil that knows that God is holy, that knows that God is just, that knows that there is mercy that pours out on me. I am wretched. What's he say? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Jesus Christ. So it's the, the, the sins that we've been talking about, the things 
that have been driving us to come back to God is merciful and God is faithful and he is compassionate are not things. Remember, there's a tension here. Okay. We should never be despairing of those things. We should be grateful that God has sensitized our conscience to know that what we have done has offended him. And it should drive us back to wretched man that I am. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ. So Romans 5 is great, but you can't have Romans 5 without 6 and 7. Because he comes back to Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love towards us. He didn't just say it. He showed it. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that tension of, it's good that we feel our souls are tortured in a way when we sin. Because that should encourage you to know that the Spirit of Christ is working in you. And it should drive you to repentance every time that it happens. Not make you want to hide from God. But it should be something that draws you to him because you know he is a father of mercies and that he has grace and mercy to give you. And he, all of his wrath has been taken care of on the cross. So there is no more wrath for you. That should be, it should be a warning sign for us, but it should be, a, in a way, a joyful warning sign because it reminds us that if you are conflicted in your spirit over your sin, that means the spirit is working in you. So Paul's focus, verse 25 and 26 of chapter 7, says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Remember, the gentle, lowly Savior, the Father of mercies, the one who is great with compassion and great with love, if you are a repentant sinner, wants to remind you, that he didn't just save you from your past sins but he's saved you from your current sins and he will continue to to keep you saved because as 1 John 4 says God is love it doesn't say God has love it doesn't say God loves you kind of it says God is love and as long as God is love his love is part of who he is and if it's part of who he is nothing will ever change that Romans 5.8, God, so, um, God loved us. God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So revel in the love of God with the understanding that when you see that sin come and you are, your soul is torn up on that sin, that that is a good thing. And it should drive you back to this God who loves you. His compassion and his mercy and his grace is there for you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for, for your, your faithfulness to us, even when we are unfaithful. We are thankful that you are a forgiving God who has given us his spirit, who continually convicts us of the things that we do wrong. And that conviction is a great reminder of your love for us. Father, help us to 
not run from those convictions, not run from those sorrows of sin, but to embrace the love of God in that repentance. We love you and we, appre- we, we appreciate these moments to be able to, to dig into your word and, and pray that uh, you'll be with John as he continues through Hebrews today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.